Hello, everyone. I'm Alicia Swami here with Keely Severson and Eric Johnson, and we are exposing mold today. We are talking about the cycle of gaslighting in the mold realm. When we think about gaslighting, we think it only comes from doctors, but uh, it's actually a whole cycle that goes around um, when it comes to gaslighting um, and mold. So I'm going to go ahead and pass the buck over to Keely or Eric. Feel free to uh, just tell us what we're seeing in this whole mold situation of people being gaslit. Well, everybody that's encountered a doctor who has some kind of unexplained illness is very familiar with gaslighting. I mean, it's almost automatically that you get treated that it's all in your head and they try to put it back on you. And um, that seems to be the quickest way to win an argument is show that your opponent is crazy or make them believe it's crazy or make other people in the group think that they're crazy. That way you discredit them, get them out of your way. In one way, when you try to talk about toxic mold and you say, well, you know, certain types of toxic mold really have vast potential to create immune damage, suddenly somebody pops up and goes, well, everybody's different. It's genetic. It's your own personal factors. It's your toxic burden. It's your emotional state. Well, that's gaslighting. We're trying to talk about toxic mold. We're trying to talk about protein synthesis inhibition, what this agent is specifically doing, and they're trying to shut you down by gaslighting you into thinking that your problem is due to your own genetics, your own personal problems, and completely divert the conversation and defeat you that way. So this gaslighting is something that goes on at all levels. It's not just doctors. Patients are constantly gaslighting each other, and it really prevents any serious resolution of what we're dealing with. I have a question, because I feel like patients often gaslight other patients on accident with repeating bad advice. And so my question is, does gaslighting have to be intentional to be gaslighting? Well, the whole idea behind gaslighting is it's intentional. If you accidentally try to make somebody look crazy, I guess you would have to call it something else. So people uh, just repeating wrong information that they hear from doctors when they are being gaslighted or gaslit. isn't yeah, that's just it's just being, repeating the toxic cycle yeah that's just being duped by obfuscation gaslighting that, that's intentional i mean the whole point of the, that term is that somebody's setting out to do that they so want we, you it's to look crazy. yeah it's important to look at whether or not they've got the intention to make you look crazy do they know that you're telling the truth but they're trying to make you look crazy anyway that's gaslighting if they seriously don't know then they, maybe they can expute be excused. They're mistaken. They just got duped. They got, they're gullible. They, they don't have critical thinking and they just are repeating what they were told. That's accidental. But once you so see some doctors that, gaslighting or are they just repeating what they are told and they can't comprehend the severity of this hypersensitivity? And doesn't it always come down to this question? Like, are they seriously doing this on purpose or not? Exactly. And that's why you have to analyze them carefully to watch for signs of whether they really do know, whether they comprehend that this kind of immunological response truly does happen, and then proceed to act like it doesn't anyway. And I've seen an awful lot of that. When I you know what? Go ahead. I just, I get confused when um, 
I don't know, like when you call a patient out for, for gaslighting others, like they, they will defend their position to the death and they'll often defend the people that have gaslit them. And I don't understand that aspect. Like what's going on sociologically with people where they may know that they're being gaslit, but they'll continue to, I don't know, they'll continue spewing that information or they'll even protect the people that are gaslighting them and are not helping them. Maybe they don't know they're being gaslit and maybe also it's the sociological factor of like the doctor God, because I feel like there's so much doctor God worshiping happening where medicine has really replaced religion. Like we just worship it without question. And so I feel like people kind of just repeat those verses that they hear from their doctor as actual fact, but then it, then it, and then it, circulates into the continuous bad advice that is just dumped onto everyone. Yeah. And you put uh, some evidence in front of somebody who's repeating wrong information and you can see how they really get their back up about it. And they can tell they're disturbed by something that so obviously contradicts a firm conviction that they have. And yet they just harden their stance and fight for it even more. And You can actually see them curl up like an animal, like their posture changes, their color changes, their tone of voice changes. I guess that's what I mean, because they'll get more defensive as they're doing that. Yeah. And then you have to watch from that point for signs of whether they're just shutting off their mind or maybe they do understand, but they've got some kind of agenda in defending their position. Like maybe they're making money off selling something and the only way they can continue to sell it is by defending their false belief. I see a lot of that with people who have like a favorite product that they have to push as the cure. It's like they're not even open to understanding hypersensitivity, or at least a couple of the people that I've talked to. I don't mean to categorize everyone, but they're not even open to understanding this idea of hypersensitivity, that there could be this ongoing injury because they're like, oh no, this product cures that. It cures everything. Yeah, obviously that's an agenda. That's not a serious belief. So unfortunately, we're in a position where people really have to decide for themselves whether they're being gaslit or whether the person really can't reconcile their their conceptual framework with the existing evidence. It's crazy because it it the gaslighting is just, I mean, it's on all fronts of our medical system and you see it everywhere and you hear about it all the time. And everyone is getting screwed over by our doctors. And there was recently a published article about, you know, you go into the ER and up to 20 to 30% of women and people of color are being misdiagnosed. It's just like, where does the, like, where, where does this end? Like what, <laughs> like, do you guys have any um, thoughts or ideas on what you think is going to happen with, with this runaway train that we're on right now of just medicine? not really helping people and just kind of tossing people out um, because they don't fit their pharmacology textbooks of what they can give them or like, how do we make a change in all of this gaslighting madness? We're seeing something almost unimaginable happening right here, right now. It's the total collapse of our medical system. I mean, they are choking and burning on their own failure to be credible. They have gaslit patients so hard They've messed up in so many ways that the trust level in the medical profession is an all-time low and <laughs> fading fast. So we, we could actually see a point 
where doctors are so distrusted that their profession, their entire system is no longer a viable business model. They're going to close up shop, lock up the doors, go home because they can't even continue. Well, and I was going to say as an answer to your question, Alicia, like a complete overhaul, a complete revolution of all of medicine, because the model that they're currently using isn't working and people are getting sick. People are getting sick of being told that all their labs are normal and there's nothing wrong with them. And there's some people who might be willing to think it's chronically genetic or just bad luck, but there's more and more people like us who are kind of determined to get at the bottom of it and have become less trusting of conventional medicine because of our experience with them, either not believing us or not helping us or not being credible when we've needed them to be. Look at the chronic Epstein-Barr virus. When the EBV syndrome emerged, it was so unusual for an adult to get the kissing disease and not recover that it caused a national scare, the yuppie flu. People were terrified what's going on with the kissing disease. This common Epstein-Barr virus, which is in 96% of the population already, wasn't really a problem. Now suddenly it is. What's going on? Doctors have normalized it. Well, there was a test that unveils this anomaly. It's uh, the Epstein-Barr virus serology test. And it shows that you've got strangely fluctuating titers of various responses to the Epstein-Barr virus. And some of these, like the Epstein-Barr virus nuclear antigen, that is supposed to remain elevated and hold it in latency forever, that's collapsing in some people. Well, that never went away. That did not disappear. The CDC simply said, well, we don't know what's going on, so we're going to call it chronic fatigue syndrome. And now when people have this EBV serology test, the doctors can see that something's wrong. Something's not right with the EBV test. It's not, the EBV is not acting like it used to. But what do they do? They gaslight people. They go, well, we don't know what it is, so it's nothing. Well, it's not nothing. And people are finally waking up to the fact that the medical profession is normalizing the abnormal. They are minimizing things that they should be extremely concerned about. And if your immune system is failing and it shows up on a test, which it does, and a doctor tells you there is nothing on your test, you know that doctor's not telling the truth. But I don't understand why doctors aren't asking these questions of their own profession because they got into medicine to help people. So if they saw evidence of immune failure, wouldn't that raise a flag in someone's medical mind of, hey, this person's sick. These labs are supposedly within value, but there's this evidence of immune system failure. Something's not right. Yeah, we need a sociological investigation of what's going on in the medical mind. Why isn't there scientific curiosity raised? Why aren't they alarmed? We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Home Cleanse, formerly known as All American Restoration, is a company that specializes in improving indoor air quality through proper mold remediation offering services nationwide. You can visit them at homecleanse.com to learn more. The Mold Guy performs mold sampling and testing for homeowners, renters, and businesses. Please visit themoldguyinc.com to learn more. Black Diamond Services provides solutions to the unforeseen challenges that can affect homes and families with no out-of-pocket costs. Services include temporary housing relocation and mold test referrals for homeowners. Visit blackdiamondservices.com to learn more.
Thank you again for your sponsorships. It is integral to our ability to serve our community and to improve the quality of life for all. Can you see immune system failure off of a standard metabolic like test, like the CBC? Like, I don't know if that would even show. Well, he's saying the EBV serology test, the titers that aren't supposed to ever go down. And if they do, they're a sign of failing immunity. Yeah, but how many doctors test test for EBV, though, unless you request it? Lots of them. Millions of them. Ever since the 1980s, when this problem emerged, doctors would do the EBV serology test, but they wouldn't bother to interpret it. They would just say, oh, well, you have EBV acting up. Go home and take better care of yourself. (laughs) If it doesn't go away, I guess you must have a genetic problem. Or maybe it's stress. Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't ever see doctors really interested in, in testing for EBV, like kind of using it as a way to understand what's going on with the immune system. It's more so if they suspect or if they, or if you even request, like I've been, well, isn't that the whole problem? Yeah. Like part of the whole problem. Like if they're not understanding that looking for immune system failure is built into the serology test, that's a big problem that they wouldn't even know that or that they couldn't use it that way. Well, the uh, Holmes 1988 chronic fatigue syndrome definition specified that doctors were not paying attention to the way the EBV serology test was identifying a problem, and they were just saying, oh, well, you've got EBV and dropping it. This is written right into the preamble for the famous chronic fatigue syndrome definition, warning doctors that something is going on with the EBV, and this requires further research. There's people right now specifically. Not to just throw this chronic fatigue syndrome name at somebody and drop it, but look for why their immune system is failing. This is exactly what doctors never did. I was just going to say, I still see people who say publicly that chronic EBV is MECFS. Yes. And if you just read the, just the definition, just the definition, it explains that chronic fatigue syndrome had to be coined because there was something wrong with the EBV hypothesis. So when a doctor reads that, or maybe they never even read the definition, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it's very clearly stated that there's something that needs further research, but EBV is not apparently the cause. And that seems to confuse doctors who are otherwise intelligent, reasonable medical detectives. And somehow they, they fail to see something wrong with this picture. And that's where they launch into gaslighting their patients, saying, well, if if you're sick, must be genetic, must be stress, must be something wrong with you. Not looking for the overall pattern of how this anomaly has emerged on such a huge scale. I feel like they're trained to treat people this way because they're trained to operate within certain parameters of this test equals this treatment. I looked really hard to try to figure out if doctors actually received any training to doubt, to dominate their patients, put them in their place, act like God. And it appears that that's just a natural consequence of moving from a layman into an academic position. When you get a certification, a diploma, a title, a doctorate, all of a sudden people think of themselves in a different way, superior. And that means that the layman's point of view has no weight against your academic point of view. Mm-hmm. So I I think that it's actually a sociological phenomenon that occurs naturally in people just through the process of certification. Wow, that's an interesting perspective. You see that with mold all the time. 
the moment somebody prints themselves up a certification, they start acting in an expert capacity and they dictate terms over and above existing evidence, acting like their expertise, their certification, their status, all the letters next to their name have more weight than what's in the actual old literature. Yeah, we see that a lot. Keely Severson is passionate and committed to exposing the truth about toxic mold and its effects on the human body. Many mold-injured people are often misdiagnosed with autoimmune conditions, nerve damage, mental illnesses, and other chronic health conditions due to the lack of knowledge about water damage and toxic mold growing in their homes. The crippling effects of toxic mold on the body has destroyed many lives. Been there, done that. When she became a healthcare provider specializing in acupuncture and herbal medicine, it was only then that she truly began to understand the connection between her health and the environment that she was living in. Three years after becoming a licensed care provider, she became incredibly ill. She was suffering from kidney failure, reoccurring UTIs, and various negative mental health symptoms. When she learned that her family had been dwelling with mold trapped under her kitchen floor, the relationship between the toxic mold factor and her health finally began to make sense. It became part of her life's mission to help educate society on the extreme effects that mold can have on the body. Her work is vital because there exists a lack of experience and acknowledgement for mainstream medical practitioners and even mold experts. She has firsthand experience dealing with mold exposure, and she makes sure to address all the signs and symptoms during every environmental screening that she performs. She's developed a line of organic herbal tinctures and formulas to help most patients reduce symptoms commonly associated with toxic mold exposures. These symptoms vary and can manifest themselves very differently from person to person. Her herbal education and experience has helped her increase awareness and recognize signs in patients that may result from their toxic environments. Keely's dedication to learning and understanding the effects of toxic mold and educating and bringing awareness to her patients and other providers keep her motivated. She knows just how devastating the untreated consequences can be on your health and the health of your families, relationships, and life outcomes. If you or someone you know may be affected by toxic mold exposure, rest assured that you and Keely will work together to find a solution. By working together to treat the symptoms and stay educated on toxic mold exposures, we can reduce the impact of this devastating phenomenon. To consult with Keely, please visit exposingmold.com slash consultations. That's exposingmold.com slash C-O-N. S-U-L-T-A-T-I-O-N-S. Book your appointment today. So I wanted to bring up the the topic of these alternative doctors. So we, you know, obviously people have been screwed over by mainstream medical, the system, they're basically writing doctors off. Um, But everyone is now looking to sort of these functional integrative, you know, doctors, alternative doctors um, to, I guess, be our saviors. Um, what do you guys think of this class of care providers? Well, unfortunately, they've repeated so many mistakes and they are so unfamiliar, apparently, with the scientific process that they will simply hear a concept and repeat it over and over again until it sounds like it's been validated when it hasn't. And they've undermined their own credibility. 
I was hoping that what would happen is that these alternative practitioners would realize that if they don't get mainstream medical science involved and bring the science up to a point where it passes peer review, that they're creating a climate where alternative practitioners are the crazies that get too close to patients and believe anything they say when they've got no backing for it. And we see that in the increasing resistance to mold illness, where the mainstream people and the alternative practitioners, the division is actually greater and greater than it used to be. I mean, in terms of alternative care providers, I mean, and and in mold, to me, it doesn't seem like they really understand it either. And (laughs) they are telling patients too, like, hey, I can't help you. Do you have some sort of negative energy or, you know? You haven't or they'll tell them, or they'll tell them that I can help you, and that this is your X Y Z other thing because they don't know how to identify hypersensitivity. Yeah, and they basically replace pharmaceuticals with supplements. So it's and kind it of always reverts to toxic soup. Yeah, they I've always never spoken metals, parasites. You know, <laughs> sorry, Keely. <laughs> oh no, that's okay. I just there's some people who do really well at marketing themselves as mold experts. And I haven't spoken with all of them, but a few of them. And it's so disappointing when you have the perspective of patient and care provider, like I do, where I've lived hypersensitivity and then have someone kind of, I want to use the word mansplain because that's what it feels like. It feels like almost a condescending way of them interpreting your symptoms and then telling you what it is. But then that explanation back to you, it never fits that experience 100%. And so it's it's frustrating to see other healthcare providers really pretend that they understand something that they don't. And they're kind of like making up these making up these stories or explanations that they think fit their patient base when they see something in their clinic, but that's just their initial observation. They don't really know exactly what's happening. And so to tell someone who has hypersensitivity that it's just in their head, that's such a gross failure of addressing the hypersensitive population that it's really really disappointing to see so many healthcare providers really taking, taking that stance. And, and even if the healthcare provider or the patient doesn't know that they're gaslighting or being gaslit, anyone who tells you that your hypersensitive response is like trauma or genetic, they 100% just don't understand mold hypersensitivity. They don't know how to screen for mold hypersensitivity. They don't know how to screen for residual exposure that you could have causing your hypersensitivity, but they'll, but they'll act like they can explain it. And that's really frustrating for me because... You guys know how much I struggled over the last like 24 months, really 12 specifically. And if somebody would have told me what I was experiencing was just I needed to calm my thoughts or just had anxiety or it was just because I had this genetic marker on this test, I wouldn't have been able to eliminate the other triggers that I needed to eliminate to stop those symptoms. And I would have been suffering for a long time. So I I really take that personal, (laughs) as you can see. I want to play devil's advocate here with you, Keely and, and, and Eric. Um, and, you know, my husband and I were talking about this the other day and we we're like, so like what percentage are people actually dealing with mental issues and what percentage is it people experiencing some sort of like environmental issue, you know, like is, is mental health, is that realm even 
should it even exist? Like the DSM five and all these different diagnoses, like, is it really in people's heads or are they being impacted by something in their environment? And it's causing these issues. And we're failing to recognize how big the environment plays in the overall mental health of a, of a person. Well, as a hypersensitive person, you can just accompany other people into toxic blooms and observe their mental responses and go, wow, <laughs> these people are going crazy in a, in the same toxic environment that's affecting me, except they're blaming their emotional problems rather than the, the toxic environment. So we know that it's a lot more than people think it is. I've thought about that question a lot, Alicia, and especially looking back at my own, I would say, depression, anxiety, symptoms that I've had in relation to living in specific symptoms. I've been able to specifically trace feeling very depressed in this moldy house, feeling very anxious in this specific city. And so to me, that absolutely raised the question of, I was never depressed. I was never anxious. I never had this mental health symptom that I thought I had. I was environmentally sensitive and I didn't know and nobody knew how to screen for it or find it or tell me. So I've definitely asked that question, like, is how, how much of what is being called mental health is environmentally induced? With the brain changes that can occur, it seems like quite a bit, but I don't know how we could find that answer. Yeah, I feel like the mental health industry is just a cover-up for what's happening environmentally. Yeah, we're just going to put a label on you and say that you're crazy, but we're never going to look into your environment and see maybe there's something that you're being exposed to is actually not agreeing with your body chemistry and therefore it's causing some sort of, you know, anxiety disorder, depression. It's just like, it, it's mad. Like once you know, you know, you know, once you go through this and you understand kind of like what you did, Keely, you're like, wow, I just had this epiphany of my entire life being affected, you know, having these symptoms and I was being affected by a mold exposure. And then, so it just, it really makes me think like, wow, people, people are just, they're not just anxious people just because, or because of their trauma or situation. It's like, look at history. There's always been crap happening in the world, <laughs> you know, now all of a sudden now it's like our mental health is, is so important. And the stress that we have is worse than any stress we've ever had in the history of humans and everyone's just falling apart at the seams. So it's just, a lot of it is not adding up to me. The ultimate gaslighting. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real shame that the old Yahoo group where I met Dr. Shoemaker went away. It was back in 2002. It was Dr. Robert Bransfield's Microbes and Mental Illness Yahoo group. And it was dedicated to this exact question. How much of mental illness is actually microbial problems, infections? And they were attributing most of it to Lyme disease and mycoplasma. Dr. Shoemaker entered to uh, bring in the concept that it was toxic mold exposure. And at the time, they weren't buying it. They were completely against that idea. They thought mold was just an allergy. But it was fascinating to hear some of the correlations they've made with mental illness, toxoplasmosis, Bartonella, Lyme disease. Um, they were actually working on trying to correlate specific things like schizophrenia with specific microbes. And I guess all that information is lost now. But they were of a view that probably all, nearly all mental illness is actually due to some kind of infection or toxic exposure. So mental health as an industry might be really the ultimate gaslighter. Well, what's curious is the reluctance of psychiatrists to consider alternative explanations. 
at least they should be open to this. I don't want to discount the uh, mental health field entirely, but if they were real scientists, they should take an interest in, you know, cat scratch fever causing, because it's well known that it does. Well, I'm not sure you can call yourself um, an industry or, or I'm not sure they can call themselves scientists because all they're doing is providing diagnoses based upon questionnaires and they're not testing for any physiological markers, are they? I mean, maybe for the, the more intense mental health diagnoses they are, but from what I know, you can go to your psychiatrist and they give you a questionnaire and they're sending you pills for your depression, anxiety, whatever class or category of mental health issues they decide to put you in. Yeah, Paula Kaplan tried to get a congressional investigation into this. She wrote a book called And They Say You're Crazy. It was an analysis of the psychiatric, the DSM manual as a whole, as to whether their entire premise is a valid one, assuming that most people have a mental illness. And unfortunately, she didn't get much traction and her efforts fell by the wayside. And yet she suffered herself from sick building syndrome which was subsequently identified as chronic fatigue syndrome. And she discovered that when she taught from home, her migraine headaches, her emotional problems, and her fatigue disappeared. So that's all in her book, Minding the Body by uh, Paula Kaplan. So she was a good one. She actually tried to bring real attention to this. But there again, the psychiatrists have no vested interest in something that contravenes their profit-making. And that's probably what most of it is. They're, they've got more profits to make by more diagnoses. So that's the direction they tend to go in. And it's the same thing that's happened with toxic mold. All the mold experts, more testing means more profit. So they invent new toxins for new molds every day without stopping to ask, why weren't these common molds bothering us in the past? It seems like you ask every mold professional that we interview that, why? hasn't, why have not health problems with mold been associated with buildings prior to this time period? And nobody really seems to understand that their answers don't ever make sense. Tighter buildings since the oil embargo of the 1970s. Is the classic answer. Oh, and, and that's, why we're that's why we're all driving high mileage cars now, right? And that's why all of our buildings are small and energy efficient. Because we responded so well to the oil embargo. Right. They're building huge mansions that are energy wasters worse than anything we had in the past. This whole concept of tidy buildings since the 1970s, when the buildings prior, they were tight. About the only thing they did that was different is a lot of the building, the windows don't open anymore. But that's about it. They're not all thermopane windows. They didn't add extra insulation. There was no difference due to the oil embargo of the 1970s. That concept is laughable. And for them to even say this is a form of gaslighting. And they're trying to say, oh, no, this makes perfect sense. And if you don't believe it, you must be crazy. Now, yeah. if you're looking at toxic mold, it had plenty of opportunities to make itself known prior to the oil embargo of the 1970s. And yet somehow it failed to do so. Why yeah. isn't toxic mold well known in all these damp, wet climates where they say, favor the conditions for, for mold. So therefore, the whole place is going to be, don't even move to a cold, damp climate because that, that's where you're likely to find mold. Well, then why did this light up in Las Vegas? Why is this a problem in the high desert? 
Why wasn't it well known in all the places where it should have been known, but wasn't? Somebody just got into the toxic mold support group and said, we've got black mold all over India, and yet this illness is not known. Why wasn't it known? That's a very good question. What circumstances, what changed to allow mold to be a problem now when prior to the 1980s, there was literally nothing in the literature about it? Wow. Are people getting sick in India from black mold too? No. Mm. So they're, no, they it's weren't. growing, but they're not getting sick. Exactly. Hmm. Well, you know, I think you can kind of gauge someone's understanding based upon what they think is happening. And, you know, you, you hear a lot of people say that, you know, the tighter buildings are now it's like, oh, there's so many building issues. They're building everything cheaply. And, you know, they, they, they just focus on construction and building. And you always like to say, Eric, things haven't really changed much since, you know, we've been putting up buildings. So it's like, maybe it's not a structural issue that we should be focusing on, but more of an overall environmental problem. Yeah. From the first time I watched this toxic mold illness in action, I said, well, mold in nature doesn't seem to do this, but it is doing it in conjunction with modern pollution. Why not consider that something is feeding the mold, some element, some compound, some agent that's allowing it to synergistically produce a more powerful toxin? Yeah, it's 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 pretty scary because I think a lot of people, there's a perception that, you know, new buildings are going to be safe, you know, Oh, I'm going to go into a new building and I'm going to be safe, but like new buildings are becoming preloaded with toxic mold. So is it what, like what's going on there? What do you think is happening? I mean, are, are they really like, is the building industry, have they changed anything? Like, like really what's happening on that end? Like, I guess that's what we have to look at. If we've been producing building materials and have been handling the way that we've been handling them for so long, and now all of a sudden materials are having issues, it's like, I think we have to wake up to the problem. And then you've got the opposing view that says avoid old buildings because they're more likely to be falling apart and have mold growth. But in terms of gaslighting, what that makes me think of, Alicia, is the people who are smart enough to to frame mold as not being toxic because of the toxin type depends on the food source. So it reminds me of that one Instagram account that was saying that mold isn't toxic. It's just the building materials in your house. And I thought to myself, how much do you have to know about toxic mold to be able to swing that, to like sway that perspective? Because you have to specifically know that Stachybotrys that grows on drywall is going to be more toxic than perhaps maybe another medium. So to blame what's in the house shows a bigger understanding of actually how mold toxins are produced, which seems to be a clue of gaslighting. So there can be sometimes there's these education accounts where it's like they know just enough to kind of turn the perspective and and turn it around. And then there's people who I think do it on accident just because they're marketing their business. But it's always interesting when the people who seem smart enough to they're like they're almost technically right where it's like this toxin does kind of depend on this building material, but it's still a mold problem because that drywall isn't killing people by itself. So to say it's just the building material doesn't fit either. That was such a good perspective that you had there because it's like those little nuances in these arguments, you know, where you're like, oh. You know, I, people listening are probably like, yeah, that guy's right. But then when you really pick it apart and understand, it's like, yeah, it's another form of gaslighting. 
kind of like how Eric had that conversation with Ryan from Humanely uh, or Daniel. I don't remember the guy's name. Anyways, um, <laughs> it's not relevant. But, um, you know, Eric's like, yeah, we've been we haven't been saying it's just the mold, like something is happening with the mold and and the chemicals that are causing these problems. Like no one has ever just blamed the mold. Um, And so they really try to get you on this technicality on these little nuanced things to kind of persuade and manipulate and change the narrative um, to to win people on their team. And and he was saying, well, then it's not the mold. It's the chemicals. Well. That's one way to look at it. However, if you think of it that way, then you're just going to be looking for an alteration in chemicals and you won't be looking at the mold. So you won't find out how the mold may be producing supertoxins in conjunction with these chemicals. Yeah, pretty interesting conversation. So everyone, I hope that you guys enjoyed this conversation about the cycle of gaslighting. As you can see, gaslighting is coming in at every direction. Um, Can you identify it? Um, I don't know. Hopefully this conversation will allow you to identify it a little bit more and to look more into helpful information that is spewed out um, constantly to see, is it actually really helpful or is it a means to just gaslight and further suppress the situation? So thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.